Welcome back to Embodied Wellness Radio, a podcast framed around creating the healthiest and happiest lives that we can create, specifically related to female health. With guests or just between ourselves, on this show we speak about all of the pillars of health, from environmental, spiritual, physical, emotional, nutritional, community, and so much more. Today's show will help to give you some context as to why we created Embodied Wellness Co. and Embodied Wellness Radio, and we'll dive deep into some of the topics and issues related to female health that has made us realize that we need to take a stand for women's health. My name is Denon Maximchuk, and to my right is my lovely co-host and co-founder, Sarah Collins. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to start to discuss some of the topics as to why women are so sick, why women are likely only going to get sicker, and why we needed to create a safe space and a community for women to learn and discover so many things about their body that they can implement themselves to create that happy and healthy life that we're striving to create for everybody. And this dates back all the way to our early high school days, even middle school, when sex ed first began. Let's take it from the beginning. So with working with clients and seeing patients and doing my own research, as well as being a female, there's no question about the fact that women are getting sicker and sicker than ever. We have more endometriosis, infertility, hormone imbalances, as well as facts like women being at greater risk for neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's. Yet all over the place, we see a rise of holistic health, wellness this, wellness that, yet somehow it's obviously not working for us as females. So this can be dated all the way back to early middle school, depending on where you live. You might have had your first sex ed experience either in middle school, maybe in high school, maybe in late elementary school. So what happens with sex ed? Essentially, we get divided up, males and females, and we learn about topics that are supposed to be around sexual health. So in doing some research before this podcast, we were looking at sex ed curriculums and found that none of the ones that we looked at included anything about female reproductive health or menstrual cycles. They included topics such as abstinence. So actually in the States, you can have an option for two different types of sex ed. One of them only teaches you about abstinence and the other goes into more depth about sexual health and what it really means. And so in either of these, and also in Canada, they talk about STIs, they talk about transmission, safe sex, and do not mention at all female menstrual health. So why is this important? Isn't female menstrual health the basis of sex, the basis of reproduction, right? Without females, without ovulation, without a healthy menstrual cycle, you cannot reproduce. And this is the basis of life and the basis of evolution. And so the fact that this is dismissed and not taught to us at a young age is actually very detrimental. And so we're kind of unsure about the things that are happening in our bodies. And so when I was in middle school, I can starkly remember being in the washroom one day and there was another girl in the stall beside me who was from a different country and she just started screaming. And so she had just had her first experience of having a period and she had no clue what was happening to her. And so the fact that we have things happen to us that we might not even know what they are. This is scary as a female, right? Like we should have the empowerment. We should have the education to actually understand what's going on in our body. And this is really important. So if you actually were somebody who was fortunate enough to have an older sibling or maybe a teacher or maybe your school educated you on menstrual health in sex ed, what did you learn? 
So most of us learn that periods are the curse or that it's something we are dealt with as females and something we essentially just have to deal with. And so there's already this negative connotation and this negative spin on being a female and on having a period. So rather than educating and empowering women from a young age to understand their bodies and to work with their cycles, we're just taught that it's something we should almost be ashamed of or that we have to just deal with as a female. And so this is actually very detrimental on our health because it creates a dysfunctional relationship between us and between our bodies, between our hormones and between our biology. And so something so fundamental to life, not only as a female, but also to males because they came from our female reproductive health is twisted into being seen as a burden. And it's very unfortunate that even as we enter young adulthood and potentially even into your 30s and 40s, many women never have the full education on their cycle aside from the fact that they know that they bleed and they know that they ovulate. You know, I really think we should get into this later in the podcast, but I would also agree the exact same is important for the opposite sex, for males. I think at some point we should definitely talk about that because guys, especially as you're starting to move into adulthood and maybe you're living with a partner or perhaps you have a sister or maybe your mother, wouldn't it, I, I think it would be so benefit. I wish I could go back to when I was like 13 and have gone through the same sex ed courses if they were like implemented proper menstruation cycles education into that so that I could understand how I can better help my, you know, sister, I've got a brother, but my <laughs> sister or you or anybody in my life who's a woman and through these stages of life so I could actually understand these things. I think we should get into that later, but. Yeah, and it's also an important question to ask that, if as females, we aren't educated and we almost have to figure it out on ourselves, how about males? How about the fact that if we don't even know what's happening in our body, how could we expect or how could we assume that our male counterparts, our brothers, our partners are going to know anything about us and our health? And again, like female reproductive health is the basis of life. This is nurturing life energy. And it's something that's kind of brushed under the rug and we're almost ashamed of when this is the exact thing that brought everybody who's listening to this right now into this world. Wouldn't you agree that like men and women coming together and living and coexisting in this world, we should learn about these things more appropriately. And I really hope that we actually eventually create some sort of a, maybe a guideline that we can even give to men or perhaps the listeners can then take this PDF and show it to their, their, their boyfriends or husbands to be like, Hey, this is kind of what's happening at these stages of the cycle. You know what? We're gonna have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's huh? a great idea. First so thing, as soon as, as, soon as we're that. done here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this starts to happen in sex ed. So that's the education aspect of it. And now let's touch a little bit on what happens when you're in middle school and you're in high school and you start to actually get your period. People are starting to be more sexually active. How does this <laughs> contribute? <laughs> How does this contribute to why women are so sick nowadays? So many women actually start to experience hormone, or I guess young ladies, start to experience hormone imbalances when they first start to have a menstrual cycle. So one of the most common ones would be heavy bleeding and signs of estrogen dominance. So to some extent, when you are younger and you are first having a period and you're going through um, puberty, so your body is starting to produce more hormones. And so our liver actually is not 
fully equipped to metabolize these hormones right away. So it's natural to have a little bit more PMSy symptoms when you're younger, as your body starts to uh, find homeostasis in the upregulation of hormones such as estrogen and progesterone. The issue with this being is that uh, some females start to experience heavy bleeding, uh, irregular periods, or cramping. And so what do they do? Who's going to help them? Their doctor, of course, right? So they go to their doctor and they say, hey doctor, I have really heavy periods and it's really painful and it's actually debilitating. I can't go to school. I can't play the sports that I'm on. And so what does their doctor do? You would think that their doctor would say, oh, something is wrong. I'm going to figure out what's wrong in their body. Unfortunately, this is not the case. Their doctor goes, oh, issues with your period? Hormonal birth control is the answer. And with no education on the female or no testing into what the actual issue is, they give hormonal contraceptives as a band-aid for this issue. Take this pill, your period will be fixed. Great, right? Not really. So what really happens when they take a birth control pill? Uh, it actually shuts down your female reproductive system. So it doesn't fix anything. It turns it off completely. And so this is extremely detrimental to that young girl, not just at this point in her life, but also later in life, because you may or may not know, but birth control can actually lead to infertility later in life. It depletes your vitamins. It just masks the hormone issue that was there. So if this female ever decides to come off of it, the issue is still prevalent and maybe even worse because it's been masked for years and years. And there's a huge list of side effects and negative implications of being on the pill. But unfortunately at age 15 or 16, how can we expect that they're going to know about these? It's not discussed before they go onto the pill. And so with the rise of hormonal birth control and more and more women being prescribed it as a band-aid solution to their issues, we are essentially dismissing the fact that hormones are important. So aside from the biological issues that happen from being on birth control, what message is this telling this young girl, right? Like she goes there for help and you give her something that you're implying is going to help her rather than actually fish fixing the issue. And so her issues are almost dismissed and she's not educated on what's going on in her body. She's not giving any, given any useful tools of how to improve. She's just given this magic little pill that's going to fix everything. And so this is another really big issue that we are seeing more and more nowadays as infertility rates start to rise. There's been some studies done that actually show the correlation between hormonal contraceptives at a young age and continuing into adulthood and infertility. And so rather than going to your doctor and asking for a pill, it's important to educate these young women on what is a hormone imbalance? What is even going on in your body? And what are some other ways aside from hormonal contraceptives that you can work with your body to fix and to help heal these things at such a young age? And also empowering women to ask questions to their doctors, right? And understanding that doctors should be educating when they are giving out these prescriptions young women on what they do essentially. I also think it's really important for women to go to their doctors, oftentimes even with some of the questions that even if they know the answers to, if more women would go to their doctors and ask these difficult questions, it's going to push the entire health system to educate themselves more rather than just saying, oh, I'll get back to you on this and in the meantime, take this. I feel like uh, because of doctors in the position they're in, they can oftentimes take this stance of, 
oh, I have to quickly move you along so I can get to this next patient. And they, they rush the patient out of the situation so that they can give them the quick fix, move them on. Yeah, and I think it's important to add too that this is not to talk poorly upon doctors. There's definitely a place for conventional medicine and doctors do only have a certain amount of time with their patients, right? So it's not really feasible for a doctor to do a full hormone panel with all of their patients and to go over it and to actually discuss. So this is actually a systemic issue as well with the time that they're given with their patients. However, what they can do is refer their patients out, right? Like try X, Y, and Z first, or maybe go to see a hormone specialist, get a blood panel run, and then we'll discuss these issues. So it is built into the system and it is not just on doctors, which is why we believe that there needs to be a space for education where women understand that they need to ask questions and they need to be able to go in there with a little bit of understanding in order to get adequate results until we can change the system, which is probably going to take a little bit. Well, regardless of the system, everything in your life is within your control. You need to be able to take responsibility for your own health, your own education, your own finances, your own any situation you put yourself into. We can't sit here and take the responsibility and place it solely on the health system and have an expectation that everything is going to be covered because the variables in our own health are, are far and wide. So at some point, the education needs to be there in the first place. Maybe that is in middle school, high school and moving up. However, there has to be a continued education process or at least a system in place where women, they know they can go to this area and for that, and that's called Embodied Wellness Co. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, and so also this comes back to what we were discussing about in middle school and in high school is to release the stigma and the shame around talking about your period. Like it is still weird for me to hop on my Instagram or to my friends and to talk about menstrual blood. Why? We need to release the stigma so that women feel safe to ask questions and they don't feel ashamed about their own bodily processes. Because again, our female biology is the basis of life. It is the basis of reproduction and we should not be ashamed to discuss this. And so circling back to birth control and how people are starting to become more sexually active because they aren't fully educated on their cycle and how does a pregnancy work? You cannot get pregnant every single day of the year, right? Like I remember when I was in high school, I thought if you have sex, you are like going to get pregnant unless you are using a condom or on birth control. And so what do people do? They don't want to get pregnant in high school most of the time. And so they go to their doctor and they get a birth control prescription when most people, even into their early twenties, aren't actually educated on the fact that you cannot get pregnant every single day of your cycle, right? And so having this education where women feel more empowered to make choices, maybe teaching fertility awareness methods. So how do I know if I'm fertile or if I'm not fertile in my cycle as a part of sex ed, right? Like putting the empowerment and putting the onus back onto the woman herself rather than feeling like she relies on this pill. And so same thing with uh, either trying not to get pregnant or feeling like you have heavy periods and cramps. They feel like they have a problem and they need to fix it with this pill rather than I am seeing an imbalance or I don't know something and I need to seek education. I need to seek the tools. I need to seek the awareness in order to support my body back into homeostasis and into health. Anything to add on What that? she said. <laughs> yeah, and so 
these are kind of the issues that stem in middle school and in high school. So we can see how at an early age, we are already creating a stigma or kind of a negative connotation and a negative thought process around our periods and around our menstrual health. It feels almost like there's secrets or unknowns about your own body and that we need to rely on things like birth control in order to fix our problems, quote unquote. And so transitioning this into adulthood, we can see three main issues that are also contributing to why women are so sick nowadays. So these are number one, being overworked and overstressed. Number two, the fact that women are left out of science. And number three, the fact that we live in a toxic world. So touching on the first point, the fact that women are overworked and overstressed. So right out of high school, as you move into adulthood, there's a lot of pressure put on you, maybe by your parents, maybe by yourself, maybe by society. And we feel like we have to work as hard as we can to achieve our goals. We need to be successful. We need to do the most that we can. We need to prove ourselves. We need to find that sense of security through overworking ourselves. So we study hard and then we get a job and we work hard and there's pressure, oh, I wanna be fit. So we're putting pressure on ourselves to go to the gym, to eat a certain way. And so we are indoctrinated into this society that tells us that more is better. Working harder is better, doing more is better when for females, that's actually really detrimental. We need to rest. We need to give ourselves self-care. We need to be able to tune into our bodies and to work in alignment with our cycles and understand that more is not always better, better is better. Sometimes we need to rest, sometimes we do need to push. And so how is this detrimental for females? Well, our female hormones, they're quite sensitive and they're very intricate, right? Like each hormone works in a delicate dance with one another throughout our cycle. And so when we have too much stress in our body, which is related to the hormone cortisol, known as our stress hormone, this can steal from the precursors we need for our sex hormones. So progesterone is one example. And so when we are too stressed, we produce less progesterone. So what happens then? Less progesterone means that even if our estrogen levels are the same, we still see signs of estrogen dominance. And so we see things like PMS, like menstrual imbalances, low energy, adrenal fatigue, and this long list of symptoms that come from overworking and overstressing ourselves. And so our hormone levels get out of balance and then we become sick, right? We become infertile. And so working on ways to find that balance and reduce stressors in your life is really important in order to maintain homeostasis, hormone balance, and just female health in general. Do you have something to add? Yeah, I just think that the issue of stress is bigger than mo what most people realize. I think right now there's a, I think it's a marketing point a lot of the time between uh, companies like, you know, the supplement companies that are pushing anti-stress supplements and headspace and all of these things, especially over the course of, of the, uh, the shutdown that, that has been the last eight, nine months. And it, there's been such a push for living a stress-free life. Whereas nowadays, I think a lot of the times with our clients, we're taking much more an approach of it is impossible to live a stress-free life. However, you can take an approach of adapting to that stress better and learning how to deal with stress. And I think a lot of the issues that we're dealing with nowadays would be better if we didn't have an all or nothing approach to it. Even back when I first started working 
uh, with clients, I was working primarily with elite and professional athletes. Acute stress is normal. So dealing with that stress through rest, nutrition, and a million other things was normal. However, I think some of those things can actually be taken into the more of a holistic sense that we're using, specifically regarding to female health. Women, we're very sensitive, and we have to take that into account when we're working with female clients. Therefore, the stress uh, relieving techniques and the way that we actually handle these stressful situations or even small things such as food sensitivities, it's extremely important. And I'm really happy that this is one of the very first things we try to tackle whenever anybody comes and works with us. Yeah, and it's also important to note that we won't always be able to reduce and eliminate all stressors in our lives. If I go to my client and I say, you know what, I think you should really just take six months on off of work. <laughs> She's going to look at me like, dude, I have three kids, <laughs> right? So there's an ideal world and there's an optimal world and then there's real life. And it's like, how do we marry the two? So you can't always change the stressors in your environment. What you can do is change the way that you think about them. You can change your mindset around the stressors. Maybe you have a really stressful job and going to work, you're in your car and you're driving there and you're all worked up and you're like mumbling under your breath about your coworkers. Can you take that time when you're driving to work to maybe turn on a guided meditation, go into that state relaxed and less stressed, right? So it's like Denon mentioned, it's impossible to have no stress and a little bit of stress is actually healthy for you. It's finding yeah. spaces in your life where you can take a step back and reduce either your physical stress load or the way that you think about that situation. Our and bodies are actually so tuned for stress, even from back in the day when we we're like running across the savannah, you know, <laughs> fighting off tigers and, and saber tooths and whatnot. That was last week. Was, oh, sorry. <laughs> whoops, I missed that. Um, actually, our neighborhood does have a lot of wildlife in it. But um, our bodies are, are tuned to having stress in our environment so much to the point that we will create stress in our lives unconsciously just to make up for the fact that sometimes it gets boring. However, if you can get it to the point where you control the stress that you have in, in your life, that is the ideal spot to be. Yeah, and also bringing this back to female health, it's understanding when is a great time for me to work and when is a great time for me to pull back. So say you have a stressful job and it requires a lot of your mental efforts and you also want to start working out. You want to start a fitness regime. Awesome. So is it really feasible for you to add on an extra hour of stress on your body every single day after that stressful job? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you can push through that workout. That doesn't mean that it's great for you too. So it's like, okay, maybe I'm going to look at it in the first half of my cycle. I can push myself a little bit harder and I can do those high intensity workouts. And then in the second half of my cycle, I know that even though I might be able to push myself through it, it's actually more beneficial for me to tone it back a little bit and go for a walk or do some yoga, right? So the, again, this piece of education is like, understanding when to work and when to pull back, understanding when and where to implement those mindfulness practices to allow you to reduce your stress load. So this idea of undereducation and the fact that we don't really know when to work and when to pull back, or oh, is it going to be detrimental if I don't work as hard as I can? And so giving yourself some grace and some peace and that confirmation that it's okay to rest sometimes is so beneficial. And it allows us to take back some peace in our own mind as well. Just so the listeners can take an actionable item away, specifically related to stress, what about when in their cycle they should change things up for both physical and mental stress? Because those are two different types of stressors that I feel like in this conversation, we've kind of amalgamated into one thing. But how can you tune 
your life based on your cycle versus uh, physical and mental stress. Yeah. So without getting too much into the full details of cycle syncing, which will probably be a podcast on its own, we can just touch a little bit about on some general ideas. So during your follicular and your ovulatory phase, so for those of you who don't know, that's the two weeks, two-ish weeks after your menstrual cycle. So during this time, you naturally have more energy. Your hormones are on the rise again. You start to see an upregulation of estrogen and progesterone. And so you probably have more physical and more mental energy. So this is a really great time to do more intense workouts. So maybe that's heavy weight lifting. Maybe that's high intensity interval training, sprints, going out for runs, these kind of activities. And then as you transition into the luteal phase and the menstrual phase, so this is the week before and the week of your bleed, it's a better time to start to take a little step back, focus on maybe just some light strength training, some Pilates, bar classes, yoga, walking, etc., and allowing yourself to rest and allowing your total physical stress load to be reduced as having a period is already a stressor on your body. And so that's from a physical aspect. From a mental aspect, this is actually really cool, is that our brain structure changes by about 30% through our menstrual cycle. So as the structure changes, of course, our cognitive functioning and the way that we think and the way that we perceive things also changes. So during your follicular phase, it's seen as a great phase to prepare and to plan things. So that might be a great time to fit in some sort of planning that might have been stressful for you. Maybe you need to plan a work vacation or schedule at your month or doing something that has to do with planning that might be a little bit stressful for you during your follicular phase, that's a great time to do that. And then say you have a stressful conversation you need to have. So I need to open up to someone. Your ovulatory phase is all about opening up and expressing yourself. You're naturally more social because your hormones are peaking at their highest concentration. So this is a great time to do things that involve speaking with other people and maybe having difficult conversations. Around your luteal phase, this is a great time to do work tasks. So say you've got these few things that you really need to get done and they're causing you a lot of stress. During your luteal phase, you'll be more supported biologically to engage in these maybe daunting tasks or that extra work that you have to do, maybe organizing your desk that you've been putting off forever. And then during your bleed, your menstrual phase, this is a great time to rest and to reflect. So doing reflections on like, how am I doing? How did this month go for me? How am I really doing? What can I work on? What went well for me? What didn't go well for me? So I don't necessarily think that there's a better time to have mental stressors and to not have mental stressors. I think that there is times to do different things and that when we can compartmentalize compartmentalize our stressors into different lists. So mental stressors that are based around work, mental stressors that are based around relationships and conversations, we can start to just fit them into different areas of our cycles. And so this also kind of leaves us into the second point, which is how women are left out of science. So if we look at this in the health and the fitness world, we see all of these studies coming out and it's like intermittent fasting is great for fat loss and great for longevity. And then we have studies saying high intensity interval training is the best way to slash fat. And so we have all of these studies, keto is great coming out and they're being marketed as if they're universally applicable. So we see these studies and we're like, oh, you know, I really want to lose 10 pounds. I definitely better start doing HIIT workouts and start fasting. 
And so it might work for you for a little bit. And then what happens? It stops to work. And so you think something is wrong with me. I must not be doing enough. I must not be fasting for long enough. I must not be working out enough. And so you try to do more and you do more and more. And you eventually come to a point where you know you actually can't do anything else. You're exhausted. You're worn out. And you never actually take that step back to think maybe my method is off or maybe something needs to change. So you put the onus on you rather than on that thing that you tried to implement. And then we take a step back to look at the actual study and it's like, okay, high intensity interval training is great. Who is the study done on? Men, maybe postmenopausal women. Where are the studies for females in their reproductive years? 99% of the time they don't exist. And so the first question to ask is why? Why wouldn't we be included in studies? Is it because there is such a deep understanding that what works for us one week won't work for us another week or that studying a female who's 24 years old in her luteal phase is different than studying a female who's 24 years old in her ovulatory phase, right? Is this knowledge actually so ingrained into the science industry that they just kind of brush it underneath the rug? And so it's unfortunate because... Yes, the answer is yes. (laughs) It's unfortunate because many women take these studies and they internalize them and they aren't aware that it wasn't done for them. And so we keep thinking something's wrong with us. And this leads us back to we're overstressing ourselves and we're overworking ourselves because we don't have that education. If scientists can't even tell us or these big names coming out can't even tell us what works for us, how are we expected to know without doing the research on our own body essentially because what works for me might not work for you and likewise what works for me might not work for somebody else who's also my age with a similar lifestyle right and so really we have to be advocates for our own health and we have to test things out and see when things work because there is no research done for us which is unfortunate and the science industry and the science community actually knows this yet there really is being nothing done to resolve it because we as females are delicate individuals, right? Males, they're simple biological constructs. I also just want to make sure we're not painting it with one brush, right? Because we keep saying none and there has been no studies. There has been some on certain things and it depends on the situation, but painting with a broader stroke, there has been not nearly enough. That's for sure. Yeah. There has been some studies, like there was one study done on female soccer players in their their luteal phase and they looked at performance, but More generally, the studies that are being marketed on social media and in mainstream media, unfortunately, they aren't actually being done on us. And so to market them as if they're applicable for everyone is leading us to be more sick and pull us out of balance with our bodies and with our cycles. And, you know, I think you'd have to agree that the environmental factors that are also causing havoc among human health, our air, our water supply. You want to start getting into glyphosate in our water supply and air and food? Oh my goodness, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Don't that'll, get Denon started on that one. That'll be a podcast on its own, folks. Look out. But all of the em- environmental factors that are causing toxicity in our life are also huge. How is that affecting it? Or female health, I should say. Yeah, so essentially we live in a toxic world and we are not really set up for success and hormone balance. So this is everything from our food supply. So our food is sprayed with pesticides and pesticides will create hormonal disturbances or endocrine disruptors. And so we eat this food that we might think is good for us. I'm eating broccoli, I'm eating zucchini, but it's sprayed with all sorts of crap that wreaks havoc on our endocrine system. 
And so this is why it's important to shift towards food quality and to focus on organic or non-sprayed. And this is not just about being hippy-dippy, right? This is the fact that when we are eating said foods, we are ingesting chemicals, which disrupts our hormones. And then where do we store our food? Do we store our food in plastic containers? Because plastic containers contain harmful chemicals that further wreak havoc on our hormones and our endocrine system. And especially when we do things like heat them up in the microwave because we're so busy, because we're overworking ourselves and we're overstressed, right? And then what do we do when we get ready in the morning? Okay, I'm going to put on my makeup. What's in your makeup? Is your makeup natural? Is your makeup free of toxins? Our skin is our largest organ. Or are you applying harmful chemicals directly onto your skin to be moved straight into the bloodstream and affect your hormone balance, right? And so it's all of these things from our tap water, our food, our health products. We are being exposed to thousands and thousands of chemicals before we even leave the house. And then let's not even get into what happens when we get outside of the house and we're breathing in pollution and all of these other things, right? So we need to have the education of what is harmful and what steps can we take to essentially protect ourselves. So switching to natural products, eating organic when you can. If it's not possible to eat organic, like maybe buying organic frozen food, which is a little bit cheaper, right? And just doing the- wash the food. Yeah, wash the food. Doing the best that we can, like making these swaps where we can. And this is not meant to be like, oh my gosh, you should be nervous about everything you touch. It's like having that awareness where you are starting to make those mindful shifts because you understand. And so you are educated and you have the knowledge to start to shift certain things. And this is not to say everyone should be perfect and you should never eat food that's not organic, but it's what you do the majority of the time. And once again, you have the power to choose. You are in charge of what you put into your body. You are in charge of what you put onto your skin. And so taking back that seed of empowerment and maybe really reflecting on, you know what? I don't feel my best right now. Maybe you have PMS, maybe you have acne, maybe you're dealing with low energy. And so asking yourself, what steps can I take to start to move to a place of better health? And you know what? Even just one step is really, really good because I think the deeper and deeper you get into health science and everything related to it, there's a fine line between awareness and anxiety. And we don't ever want to create the anxiety that, oh my goodness, everything's going to kill you (laughs) because it can get a little scary after a while. And I'm not going to lie, you start to go down different rabbit holes and it is slightly depressive. But every single day, maybe every week or maybe every month, you pick up one new habit of I'm not going to eat out of plastic containers or I'm not going to use artificial sweeteners or whatever it may be. All of these small little changes, if you can make one a month into your life over a three or four year period, you've, what's the math on that? You'll develop 48 (laughs) different new habits uh, that'll help to benefit your health long-term. Yeah. And it's also important to note that our bodies are incredibly resilient, right? So the issue is not one thing. The issue is everything or 10 things or 20 things. The issue is probably not just the fact that you put on mascara that might have chemicals. The issue is that you're eating foods that have chemicals and then you store them in plastic and then you're overworking yourself and you're really stressed out. Maybe your food choices aren't that great. And then it's the chemicals in your mascara. And so making one change actually is important and no change is too small. So like the compound effect that done in touched on is you make one change and then you have more momentum to make another change, right? So most of the time our hormones don't fall out of balance or we don't get sick because of one thing. 
we get sick because of everything else that filled up our rain barrel and then that one drop made it overflow. And so this is why it's important to start to educate ourselves, begin to make mindful shifts and start to decrease that overall toxic and harmful load for yourself, for your hormones, for your body and for our future generations as well. Yeah, I think the entire industrial revolution of humans has been really interesting, although it's allowed us to do everything quicker and have things in abundance in such um, a fast pace. Um, part of the issue is we have gone so far away from the ancestral types of eating, sleeping and types of rhythms that we've created that are embedded deep really within our genealogy. And one of the things I actually told a client a long time ago was, um, and this doesn't apply to everything, but I, I find it really helps every time I go to put something in my body or do something throughout the day is like made by God for my bod, uh, made by man, throw it in the garbage can. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really simple way it was, uh, of going through each and everything that I was putting in my body or putting my food in that would affect what goes in my body. And um, I just figured that helped me out. It might be easy for you guys to remember that too. So just to do a little recap, we can kind of see how these issues start to stem at a young age with lack of education around the middle school and the high school years, with hormonal birth control being used as a band-aid solution and young women relying on it or feeling like they need it in order to have healthy hormones and to avoid things like pregnancy. Into adulthood, we see how overstress, overwork, women being left out of science and living in a toxic world have essentially brought us to where we are today, where there is wellness this, health this, health that. There's a larger space and a larger community of health and holistic health and fitness and wellness, yet this doesn't mask the fact that we as women are sicker and sicker than ever. And so it's important to educate ourselves, educate our sisters, our girlfriends, our daughters especially on what it means to be a female, what is going on in their body and giving them useful tips and tools in order to start to bring women back to a place of health and find this overall harmony and balance as well. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some action items moving forward that you can implement today. Yes, let's do it. So the first one would be to be an advocate for your own health, right? So start to tune into and have a mindfulness practice of what feels good for you and what doesn't feel good for you? When do you feel the most in alignment? When do you feel like you're being pulled out of alignment? Because a big piece of this too is intuition and honoring the fact that we as females will feel different from week to week. So knowing when you feel different and knowing what is supporting you at certain times and what isn't supporting you at other times. And the second piece would be finding that education. So whether that's listening to podcasts like ours or going out and doing the research yourself or going out and reading books or working with somebody who can help to teach you, right? So it's not always reasonable or you might not always feel like you have the time to go out and seek this education on your own. So working with someone like a coach who can actually coach you through this process and can teach you those lifelong skills and that lifelong knowledge to set you ahead is another important one. And then the last one would be to start to reduce your overall toxic load and to look at reducing your stress. So this is making those small changes that we talked about. So maybe switching out your makeup for a natural makeup when it runs out, right? Or maybe starting to let yourself rest when you have your period. Honoring and having permission to listen to your body rather than feeling the need to push and to work all the time. 
And so starting to make small changes and starting to educate yourself will have a huge impact and a huge benefit, not just for you, but it also sets an example for those around you. When we allow ourselves to live in alignment with who we are, we inspire others to do the same. And when we start to make these changes, maybe people around you ask questions and you can inspire them too, right? So this is the ripple effect. What starts with one change in you can have a huge benefit, not just on your health overall, but on our future generations and on those around us as well. Yeah, 100%. And all of these action items that we're going to be talking about over these next couple minutes, you can find them later because we're going to be going into a lot of things. And I just assume a lot of you may be listening in your car or wherever you may be on the go. Um, you can always check back later and write this down to look at the show notes at embodiedwellnesscoat.com slash blog slash 002. And here you can find all of the studies that we've referred to and all of the notes that we've made for you to then take this further in your life. If you have any questions about anything that we discussed today or are looking for a little bit more on where to start with your own health and your own journey, feel free to reach out to us by sending us a DM on Instagram at Embodied Wellness Co. or shooting us an email at team at embodiedwellnessco.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. See you soon, Wellness Gang. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.